Coming to you from the breakfast taco capital of the world, it's the most unique hour of sports talk streaming worldwide. Worldwide. And beyond. And beyond. Live from the Alamo City, it's the Two Shots Podcast, hosted by Joe Garcia. Two Shots Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Garcia, and today I'm going to be joined by a special guest, we're going to be joined by the one and only Noah Magaro George. Noah, thank you for joining us. It's exciting to have you on the Two Shots podcast. Man, I always love joining you talking Spurs basketball, and I always just appreciate you bringing me on the show, man. Love being on here with you. Yeah, it's always good to have you on. I mean, you're very knowledgeable about the world of basketball, and you follow closely the San Antonio Spurs because you're a, a writer, editor. You're, you're, you're the man of all trades. You're a renaissance man for <laughs> Pounding the rock. So welcome again. Glad to have you on here. But we have a lot of things to talk about. So let's go ahead and dive in here and just start off with one of the things that took social media by storm yesterday. And that was the Spurs trade rumors. I mean, we had tons of stuff coming out, you know, and I first saw this early in the morning by um, Jake L. Fisher of Bleacher Report. You know, he had written an article, had a lot of great information, even on his Twitter, you know. On Twitter, just looking at all the the different scenarios there the, the, about the Spurs fielding calls from for certain players, in particular, Derek White and Yaka Portal, uh, and it was re- being reported by again Jake L. Fisher, Atlanta placed a call to San Antonio to inquire about one Derek White, uh, is what his sources had told him, and that's interesting, you know. I mean, interesting but not interesting because at this time of year, Noah, teams are calling everybody at this particular you know yeah. juncture trying to figure out, hey, is there any interest there? Could there be something that we could get, give you guys and we can get a player that kind of works out for both teams? So the Spurs fielding calls shouldn't come as a surprise. I'm sure a lot of other teams have called as well. It just hasn't gotten out like this uh, particular story here. What's your thought on this? I think it's really interesting for the Spurs because you look at Derek White and for years, probably the last two, three years, we've been saying, you know, can he play next to DeJounte Murray? When is he going to get that opportunity to see if they work together? And defensively, they work fine, right? I mean, they're one of the best defensive backcourt duos in the NBA. But offensively, it hasn't been particularly pretty. Neither player has been a particularly good three-point shooter this year. They both kind of need the ball in their hands to be at their most effective. And because of that, you've seen Derek White's production dip a little bit, at least per game production dip a little bit across the board. And... At least when you're looking at Atlanta, there have been reports coming out that John Collins, I know that's a name that we were very interested in this offseason, that they're willing to part with him for a starter-level player and a first-round pick. Last time I checked, San Antonio has both of those things. Derek White fits that bill. Maybe they do a lottery-protected first-round pick, something like a 2023 lottery pick, maybe your 2024 pick, or even 2025 Bulls pick. Who knows? But you have the pieces to potentially go ring the the phone and hit them up and say, Hey, are you interested? And the rumors are, they are interested in Derek white. So maybe you can pull something like that off. John Collins is a really solid player. Shoots 40% from three point range, mostly a standstill shooter, but still really good percentage there. A lob target for DeJounte Murray. He's become a really solid rim protector, a good switchable defender as a big man who plays the four. So you got to be wondering, you know, are the Spurs on the phone talking to Atlanta? Is this a deal that's maybe going to go down. So we don't know. I mean, the Spurs don't make a lot of trades. I don't want to get anybody's hopes too high up, but I I mean, I think it's interesting at the very least, right? Yeah. I think the only uh, hope on all this is, is going to have, it's going to have to be for the San Antonio Spurs. If they go ahead and make a trade and they go ahead and acquire, and we're just 
that's guesstimating or speculation. You know, if they go ahead and acquire a player such as Collins, they'd have to go ahead and make some 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 moves to go ahead and fit him as far as cap space goes. So there be several players more than likely involved in the whole deal. And they might go to Atlanta and Atlanta might get them and immediately wave them, you know, to clear cap space or however they need to do, you know, to, to make the books work for both parties. But, you know, it's interesting nonetheless, because you would think that the asking price for Collins was going to be a lot higher. It is attainable for the San Antonio Spurs, but again, you know, we'll see if anything comes of it. You know, we do have the, the assets, in other words, to go ahead and pull this this uh, trade off. But again, man, I, I just I my heart tells me that the the Spurs in the front office probably <laughs> just won't make that happen. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's fair to a certain degree. We haven't seen them make a lot of trades, but I think they have a few things going for them. And we've also seen reports that John Collins isn't happy there. You know, his roles diminished, his usage has gone down. He isn't getting as many shots. They're not involving him in as many plays. He's vocalized his, you know, uh, him, just him being upset about what his role has become in Atlanta. So maybe that's why the asking price isn't too high. You know, you hope that the Spurs are talking to them, but who really knows? We won't know until a trade gets done. And, you know, the likelihood of that happening, like you mentioned, probably pretty slim, but again, I, I'm fine to be optimistic. This is a season where you got to be optimistic. It hasn't been the best season, but if you can find a silver lining in something, then I, I advise fans to do it. You know, I think the Spurs would actually make a trade if, in fact, Ty Yeager decided to take a nap. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something always happens when he just lays down for a few minutes. It's like they know that he's down. They know they have somebody watching him, and they go, okay, all right, fire up the trade machine. Let's get yep. those signings done. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Yeah, it's it's so weird. Yeah, I joke with him every once in a while. I should tell him again, hey, Ty, you feeling sleepy? Take a nap middle of the day, dude. <laughs> It'll happen. You're going to go to sleep and boom, a trade happened. <laughs> but the Spurs have also been taking calls for one Jakob Portal, you know. And that's interesting to me, too. They fielded calls, you know. That that was the thing, again, per Jake L. Fisher of Bleacher Report. You know, and San Antonio, the, he says, indeed was uh, taking calls or fielding calls uh, regarding Jakob Portal, you know, they fielded numerous calls <laughs> on the 26-year-old center, and the Spurs, in fact, are seeking a strong return in any deal. So it's interesting to me, you know, because Jakob Portal, notoriously, when he came to San Antonio, didn't look very good. You know, he was still kind of finding his place. You know, even when he was playing with the Toronto uh, Raptors, he didn't have like the numbers that he's having this season. It just goes to show you the evolution of his game has come a long way. He's come so far that he is your second most consistent player for the San Antonio Spurs, only behind one DeJounte Murray. Jakob has developed into a solid starting center, you know, for the San Antonio Spurs. And, you know, with his ability to go ahead and be a rim protector, go up and get some rebounds. He, he plays a beautiful game outside there on the paint, you know, being able to go ahead and get in the pick and roll situation, you know, go out and set screens, his ability to pass. He is a great passing big man. You know, he has these skill, this skill set and you look at him and yes, he might not be the fastest guy out there on the court, but he does a lot of the little things that go unseen. So that commands a lot of interest from some of these other players that might be lacking a center. What are your thoughts on this? I would be pretty hesitant to move off of Jakob Pertl unless like, article reported they're going to get a strong return you look at Jakob Pertl he's number one in the NBA ahead of even guys like Miles Turner and Rudy Gobert and shots contested 
He has the third best defensive field goal percentage on this team. He leads the, the Spurs in blocks per game. He's eighth in the league in blocks per game. He's number two in the league in screen assists. I mean, he does so much for the San Antonio Spurs team that just kind of goes under the rug. And I don't know that you're going to find somebody for a better deal. I mean, you still control him for a couple of years unless you get a guy back like OG Ananubi, which the Spurs don't really need another, you know, smaller forward or guard kind of player. They just don't need another guy like that. So I don't, I don't know, you know, will he go back to Toronto? I'm sure they're interested. You know, that was one of the things in the report is that they were interested, but I probably wouldn't move off from Jakob. Like you mentioned, he's been really, really spectacular as of late. The second best player on this team, clearly just only behind DeJounte Murray. Over his last six games, it's 19 points, 10 rebounds, three blocks, three assists, only two fouls, one turnover per game. And then you look at his efficiency, 70% from the field, and he's brought that free throw percentage up to 66% over those six games or five games. So I don't know. I'm not, I'm not ready to move on from him. I'm not saying I wouldn't take a call, but I don't think that the Spurs should move on from him right now. Yeah, and I don't think the Spurs should move on from Jakob either. Not only has he developed into a solid starting center, they got him at a hometown discount. I mean, you can't beat that. You know, you got somebody at a really great deal. He's performing, outperforming expectations, I would say, at this point. You'd want to keep somebody like that. Unless you're getting a huge haul and the Spurs absolutely can't look away from that, you'd pull the trigger on that. But right now, just go ahead and keep the guy until you find a deal that works for you, in other words, you know? So moving forward here, I wanted to go ahead and, you know, yell out some of the stats or point out some of the stats as you had say, stated as well about Jakob. You know, Jakob, over the last 17 games, as I saw here on Twitter, um, I'm going to go ahead and give credit to Mark Schindler of Basketball News. Uh, go ahead and give him a follow at M. Schindler NBA. Puts out some great stats. You know, over the last 17 games since Christmas, Jakob's stats have been 14.5 points per game on 61.9% true shooting, 9.8 rebounds per game, 2.7 blocks, or, you know, steals and blocks, should I say, 2.9 assists. Uh, he's, he also pointed out that he's taking more floaters. He's pushing, he's, uh, you know, his touch shots than he has ever had, you know, and converting on 46% of his looks he's in the 75th percentile you know uh he's having a, a really great year and and these are just some of the numbers from from christmas up until you know his most recent game so again can't say enough good things about yucca portal you know so he's been one of these things uh i guess the saving graces uh for this season you know beyond just Dejounte murray you wanted to see some growth of some players well you look at yucca portal he's come along really nice and so has one Keldon Johnson. I mean, <laughs> last year, I remember we all had a conversation. We would talk here and there. And the conversations were, you know, Keldon would be a really great player if only he would develop a three-point shooting shot, you know? And he does, he's done that. He's developed a nice three-pointer, you know? So much so that he currently has 153 career pointers in just 100 in 31 games, there's only three other players in Spurs history that have gotten to 150 made threes quicker than Keldon Johnson. And they are Gary Neal. I know a lot of Spurs fans don't remember, but you got to go back and look at the day. <laughs> Dan Green and Davis Bertans. So Keldon, he's an amazing company right now. I mean, the kid has made, to me, a complete 180 from where he was last season 
as far as his three-point shot to this season, the evolution of his three-point shot, it's been great to see and it's been helping the team. What do you what do you got to say about Keldon? I don't think what I have to say is probably going to make Spurs fans that happy, but Oh no. <laughs> I, I continue to see like and and it's fine because, you know, Dan Weiss and Sean Elliott and Bill Land, they all work you know, for the Spurs, they're paid by the Spurs. Their their job is to talk about the Spurs. They're not going to say anything bad about the Spurs, but they've said this thing constantly throughout the season that you know, Keldon Johnson is the third best three point shooter in the NBA. Well, that that's not true. I mean, he's the third most accurate three point shooter in the NBA. But if I told you right now, PJ Tucker was the best three point shooter in the NBA, you would say that's not true. Like they the, they are very similar in that they only take standstill three-point shooters. It's catch and shoot, stationary, not off the move, not off the dribble, not running off screens. And that has a ton of value on its own, obviously. You know, he's one of the best corner three-point shooters in the league, and he has grown leaps and bounds as a shooter. That is undeniable. But really, I mean, like outside of the three-point shooting, Keldon Johnson is mostly the same guy he was a year ago. He's the second worst finisher at the rim on this roster, 12 points below league average, percentage points below league average, below league average from mid-range. He's league average from the floater range. He loves to drive, but doesn't really play make for other guys. So, like, love Keldon. I'm glad that he's become a better three-point shooter, but I don't know that he's really that much better than he was a year ago. I mean, even, like, most of the advanced analytics will tell you that he's basically the same dude he was a year ago. So I want to see more from him. But I'm very excited that he's become a three-point shooter because that's huge. Like last year, 32% or 33%, that's that's not great. You know, it's it's a it's a low volume, 44% this year. But hey, like that is a huge step in the right direction. And if he can do a similar thing to like what DeJounte Murray has done where he adds just a little piece to his game, piece by piece, you know, three-point shot, mid-range shot, learns how to dribble a little better, learns how to distribute, becomes a better defender, like – you know, the, 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 the sky's the limit for him, but for right now, I just realistically looking at him, he's mostly the same guy he was a year ago. So he deserves credit for the three point shot, but I'm, I'm not gonna, you know, sing his praises. Cause I, I think he's been one of the reasons that the Spurs are kind of where they are. <laughs> you know, I think one of the things that I've actually kind of considered, you know, and I've talked about this with, with some of the other, you know, media uh, people, you know, out there. And, and the thing is, you look at Keldon Johnson, and he, like you said, he still is kind of the same player. Puts his head down a lot, gets that tunnel vision, drives to the rim, gets in trouble because of poor decision making. You know, trying to force the issue. He loses control of the ball, turns into a turnover, going the other way for an easy dunk or an easy layup, you know? And you've seen this thing happen, you know, throughout the season. And it happens sometimes at some of the worst uh, possible times during crunch time when you're trying to go ahead and get your you know, get yourself back into the of the game and you're only down by two three points and he does something like that goes the other way either a slam dunk easy layup or you know an, an easy uncontested three you know so easily you're going from three points down to now you're going six points down so he makes these poor decisions and hopefully he can go ahead and fix this but if he can't one of the things that i do like is maybe a small adjustment to the starting lineup one of the players that i have seen <laughs> that's really grown to you know in my eyes and just seems to be an all-around better player, is Devin Vassell. He's a good defender, great shooter, makes good decisions with the ball, and he, he's poised beyond his years, you know? I, I just think that he is a better overall player than one Keldon Johnson. Will they make that change? Probably not, because they're going to look for that balance, and of course, 
Keldon's been there longer. So there's something as I guess, you know, Coach Pop goes by tenure as well, you know? So it would be interesting to me, though. It would be interesting if they did make that change. What do you think? I think it would be interesting. Uh, the, the only, like, hesitation I would have is – I mean, I guess I wouldn't have any hesitation there. I'm looking at the roster and the starting lineup in particular. You remove Keldon Johnson and you, you switch him with Devin Vassell and you, you lose a lot of size, right? Because Keldon Johnson, even though he's, I think, a little bit shorter than Devin Vassell, he's bigger. And he's got a similar wingspan. He can guard a little more, a few more positions. And one of the things that Devin Vassell said during the draft process before, before the Spurs took him in the lottery was that he would prefer to play the two, that that's really his natural position. And if you have him out there with Derek White and DeJounte Murray, then, you know, he's going to be playing the three, if not the four, depending on, you know, what they want to do with Doug McDermott. So I, I like him. I think he deserves a chance to start. He's been really solid this year, but... I don't know if I would swap him for Keldon. I might swap him for Derek White. That's a different conversation, though. You know, like, yeah. you lose some playmaking when you put Derek White in the second unit, but it really, Derek White's the best with his ball with the ball in his hands, as we mentioned earlier in this episode. And, you know, DeJounte Murray doesn't really need to see touches to Derek White in the starting lineup, and I think you're giving him a lot more weapons there because, you know, for as good as Derek's been, he hasn't been a good shooter. And adding some more yeah. shooting around him, that may help DeJounte Murray just a little bit. Yeah, our good friend Josh Paredes, he had put some stats up and showing the decline of some of the, you know, the shooting of, of some of the players. And I believe it was Derek White was in 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 one of those stats that he had put up that is uh, shooting has go ahead, has went ahead and declined, you know, over the course of the season. And he was showing some of the other players who have been on the upward trend as well. So to me, that was an interesting stat. You know, it just goes to show you, is there a little bit of a, a decline in his game right now? Maybe. I mean, I, to me, it, I mean, it's there's a lot of things going on this season, and, and I don't want to just focus on one certain player because let's just face it, the whole team has had a slew of issues, you know, hence their record. You know, they, they're not very good. They're still yeah. trying to figure a lot of things out. So you do see some some things that, okay, you might want to keep an eye on, but, you know, nonetheless, I mean, he's still a player that if you get an offer for him, Maybe you go ahead and pull a trigger. But for now, I think the Spurs are just going to go ahead and hang on to him because he brings much needed experience, uh, you know, to this particular team when there's not a lot of veterans here. You know, they still have a, a huge young core that needs to figure a lot of things out and, and learn consistency. So he's, he is going to be one of your, your guys that's going to facilitate the basketball and be one of your leaders out there on the court. So he still has a lot of value in that regards, you know. So let's go. Let's go ahead and yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I I couldn't agree more with you. I, my mom went to, see, you know, he's school, watch him play basketball, Pac-12 for golf. It's always going to want to say like, let's have this sort of bias towards him because you know he went to see you and and I'm a Buffs fan, but. I mean, I, right now I'm wearing a Colorado hoodie, <laughs> but yeah, I agree with you. Like if, if, if an offer comes up, you, you do it, uh, but he is valuable. He's super valuable to this team. Yeah. So moving forward here, we're going to go ahead and talk about the NBA all-star voting. And I know a lot of Spurs <laughs> fans and, you know, a lot of NBA buffs have issues with the way that the fans vote. And in particular right now, the way that the system is set up, it's 50% of the voting comes from the fan base. 25% comes from the NBA players themselves, and then another 25% comes from the media members. So 
Spurs fans in particular took a big issue because they saw that Andrew Wiggins has been voted into the starting unit for the NBA All-Star game that's going to be coming up here. And then you look and see, okay, where did DeJounte finish? Because Spurs fans here, we're in a small market. I get that, you know. And Spurs fans here on Spurs Twitter, we're, we're a small niche. And everybody's like, well, I'm voting every day and I'm voting and I'm retweeting and I'm doing this. And it seems like we're doing a lot of work, you know, in that you think that the numbers are going to be bigger, but they're actually not. You know, at the end of the day, DeJounte, he, he I mean, he was kind of not in the mix, you know, he was near the bottom, but he was still in there, you know, it's just, again, our small market, you know, it, it's, it is what it is. I, I, and there's still hope, you know, for DeJounte, he could still possibly get a, a nod into the NBA all-star game, because again, we don't know if a certain player is going to get injured or COVID might have something to do with, you know, a player going into health and safety protocols. There's a lot of things that can still happen. I don't wish that on anybody, but, you know, it is what it is at this juncture, you know, and the, my, my issue is, do you think that the NBA All-Star voting needs to be tweaked a bit? And if so, how, Noah? I think the All-Star voting is deeply flawed and not even like speaking on behalf of DeJounte Murray, but the process doesn't really make a lot of sense. I mean, you look at the fan vote being 50% of the vote, that's probably too much. And you can have like random K-pop stars or a Kendall Jenner or whoever retweet their boyfriend or their favorite player. And then all of a sudden they're leading, you know, the, the voting. But I think more so than the voting itself, just the way that the all-stars are split into positions by like front court and back court, it doesn't make sense. We're playing in an NBA where Joel Embiid can average 30, 10, and 6 assists. And Nikola Jokic as a center can average, you know, like 27, 13, and 8 assists. Like... There aren't positions anymore. You know, we talked about how Devin Vassell wanted to play the two, whatever. It's just like matchup-wise. Defensively, you can have a position probably. You're guarding a guy who's similar size to you. But there really aren't. Like LeBron James, for all intents and purposes, he's a point guard. Luka Doncic is a point guard. Like, it doesn't make sense to have these backcourt, frontcourt designations. And this is how you get a guy like Andrew Wiggins as a starter instead of somehow Chris Paul, you know, Luka Doncic, uh, Devin Booker, they're not getting into the All-Star game as starters. The Suns are the number one team in the NBA. They didn't get a single starter. I, I know that the, the Warriors have been good, but let's be honest. Andrew Wiggins isn't even the most important forward on their team. Draymond Green deserved it more than he did. So the way that they have it done by one front court and back court designations, that's got to go. That's old school thinking, got to go. And number two, I'm so tired of the conferences thing too. Because if they're going to do a draft where it's like you get an Eastern Conference captain and a Western Conference captain, but then they can pick whoever made the all-star team, that's that's just ridiculous to me. It doesn't make any sense. And I, and I don't really get like mad about a lot of things, but this is something that I'm willing to die on this hill for. It just doesn't make any sense. Like You got to get rid of the conference designations too. For the longest time, the Western Conference has been so much better than the Eastern Conference. And that's how you end up having guys... Like, and I know that they were in the Western Conference, but you have someone like Mehmet Okor making all-star team or Jamal McGlure. Like, those guys are, are, are not all-stars. It's how guys like Bradley Beal miss an all-star team or someone like a Damian Lillard misses an all-star team. Get rid of conferences. Get rid of position designations. 
fix the fan vote and even the player vote is a joke the player voting is a joke kendrick williams got votes for an all-star team from players keldon johnson did Derek white got some votes you had jose alvarado get votes i mean these guys aren't all-stars don't give the nba players an opportunity to vote if they're just going to throw their vote away and give it to random guys who they're friends with then fix the system it's 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 so beyond broken and i'm tired of it i just i can't stand it <laughs> yeah there's something that needs to be done here i mean it's it's kind of archaic at this point you know it, it's from a different time i mean you need to get with the times now and kind of make some changes and you know what and can we get some designers to come out here and design some decent jerseys my god they're man. so bad oh my <laughs> goodness those look so bad this is your 75th anniversary season Do the diamond it look good man like it, it oh my god just like this whole process is it's weird and bad and I mean, I'm I'm gonna watch the All Star Game and All Star Weekend. Yeah. Like I'd never complained, but like, I just I I can't stand it. I mean, we know it's the NBA. We don't necessarily need to see the big old logo on the front of the jersey. You know, if you go back to the '90s, and I, I have to say that was the golden age of jersey designs because the the jerseys actually look good. You know, it was like East versus West. You know, and and the aesthetic was just so much better. I don't know what happened, but. I mean, it looks like a trash bag, you know, the gray jersey. I'm just like not a fan of it. You know, it looks horrible. Add some flavor to it. You know, it's just too plain out there. Like there's it's a lot bland. of people. Yeah, there's it's a lot of people. It's bad. There's a lot of graphic artists out there. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, that they can just come <laughs> up with something real quick and say, you do this. It looks a lot better. You know, you don't have to get gaudy, but I mean, add some pizzazz to it. You know, something. <laughs> I don't think Absolutely. a lot of people. And I, I mean, think you look at the NBA, like they had a uh, in the like early 2000s where the teams, the players would wear their team jersey. Yes. Why don't you just have all the players wear their like, I don't know, give them give them their city edition jersey and then put an all star patch on it. I don't know. That would even look better. I like that. I actually like that. I thought that was a good idea, you know, and they just went away from it and they like, you know what? Let's get this plain gray jersey and this plain red jersey. And there you go. We're going to run. We're going to run with this. It's just. It's just awful, man. It's just horrible. And uh, I wanted to read some of the numbers because I believe the final tally for the votes uh, that the Spurs fans and, you know, fans in general went ahead and gave DeJounte was somewhere in the neighborhood of, I believe, 307,000, something of that that nature. And then some of the other honorable mentions here. Uh, and I'm, I'm reading this per Jeff Garcia of uh, <laughs> Ken's Five. He put that Keldon Johnson had 64,961 votes. Yaka Portal had 51,689 votes. Doug McDermott, Dougie McBuckets, 18,900 votes. Yak Landale, 6,371. Keita Bates Diop, 4,986 votes. Drew Eubanks, Ty's, Ty's buddy there, 1,752 votes. Zach Collins hasn't even played a game. He got 2,015 votes, and uh, Devontae Kaycock had 1,129 votes. Those are the honorable mentions. And, I mean, Zach Collins is is actually playing with the, the NBA G League right now, the Austin Spurs team, looking like he might make a return here with the team. So, you know, wish him nothing but the best. But the guy hadn't even played one single game here with the San Antonio Spurs and got some votes. No, I mean, what do you think? I don't know. I mean, like, I, I think having a fan vote engages the fans and it makes them feel important. But if we're being honest, and this is not meant to be mean by any means, but 
like most NBA fans are casual fans. Like you have a team that's your favorite team. You like certain players on your team, but most fans don't watch the other 29 teams that they don't care about. They don't really know what's going on. And so you get people who have no idea how basketball works for the other 29 teams. And they're going, well, I really like Derrick Rose and, oh man, I I love Allen Iverson. And they end up, you know, in, in random years where they're not even good leading votes. It just like, it doesn't make sense. You got to fix the process. You got to fix the player voting. And really, I think more than anything, if you're going to do the player, you know, the fan voting, make it like 25% and do a panel of coaches where you go, okay, you know, you're going to vote for the other 75% of the votes, but you can't vote your own player in. You get you get rid of some of the politics there so that they can't vote their own players in. So I don't know. It just It's such a deeply flawed system that probably won't be fixed. It's probably not worth my frustration, but something has to be done at some point. Yeah. So I wanted to play a quick clip here, something that I saw on Twitter. Uh by a by username of Weimar at Happy Spurs fan. So I'm going to go ahead and play this clip. I'm going to go ahead and share it. I don't know if they'll be able to hear the audio. I hope they can. So this was a clip from. Oh, I saw this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and play this. Let me hide this. If they need a replacement, um, DeJounte Murray in San Antonio. I know the Spurs have had a tough year, but DeJounte Murray is averaging 19, 8, and 9. He's got 10 triple doubles. Yeah, eight, 19, uh, 9. He's, yeah, he's playing well. Yeah, he is. He's They're not winning. Playing he's great. Playing great. Yeah. Uh, if they need a replacement. That's kind of funny. They're not winning, but <laughs> nonetheless, it was a great, great to see that DeJounte got some recognition there, you know, on the national yeah. level. You know? Yeah, it was really cool to see, you know, Ernie and Kenny and Charles, like all those guys giving DeJounte some props. But I don't know. Like, I think he definitely deserves to be an all-star this year. I don't know that he deserves it more than other players. And it it goes back to the thing where, like, the all-star selection process is weird. Like, you go back to the very first all-star game that ever happened in the NBA. 24 roster spots. There were 200 players in the league. We're now 70 years in the future. <laughs> and we still have 24 roster spots and more than 600 players have played a game this season. I, I just don't understand. One, I, we've already talked about the positions and the conferences, but maybe expand the rosters. Like, you know, it's like that at that point, that was like 10% of the league made the all-star team. Now it's like 4% of the, the league makes the all-star team. I don't know. I'm excited for that. I'm, I'm glad DeJounte Murray got some props, but like for the same reason that, Bradley Beal averaged 30 points two seasons ago and didn't make the all-star team because the Wizards were losing. That's kind of what I'm afraid of with the Spurs, that, like, you know, DeJounte has some nice round numbers, but it, it won't matter too much to the, to the like, coaches who decide the reserves because they're going to see, hey, you know, the Spurs are losing. We're going to go ahead and grab Chris Paul and Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker and Luka Doncic, and then they run out of room for him, which shouldn't be the case. There really should be enough room for him, and they also should just – look at the teams and go, Hey, like this guy has been good, even though the team's been bad, maybe ignore that a little bit, but I understand it. I understand not wanting to put somebody in there. If the team isn't good, I get it. Yeah. You know, so let's go ahead and also talk a little bit about, since we're on the subject of DeJounte, I want to talk about DeJounte uh, looking to break uh, the, the San Antonio Spurs all time, triple double record that is currently held by one David Robinson, David Robinson and DeJounte are currently tied at both 14 career triple doubles 
Uh, there's still a lot of basketball left to play, and it looks like DeJounte is going to be poised to go ahead and break that record. The breakdown, I believe, goes like this. He has 10 triple-doubles this season. Six are on the road. Four are here at the AT&T Center, something like that. I don't know if I got those things backwards or not. I have to look at it a little bit more closely. I lost my stats muse uh, link. <laughs> you know, I had it up here, and it's gone right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But nonetheless, you know, DeJounte's been playing great basketball. You know, great basketball since the beginning of the season. One of the uh, he's going to be the most consistent player that the Spurs currently have on their roster. Um, what are your thoughts on Dejounte and, and the breakout season that he's having? Yeah, I mean he he's been really good. I've talked about a little bit on my podcast and in the Spurs spaces that I host, you know, daily or every other day. And I think Dejounte Murray's definitely made some strides as a playmaker for sure. I mean his turnover percentage has gone down, his assists have gone up, but at the same time, like, and I know I'm probably going to sound like a curmudgeon, and Spurs fans are going to be upset, and that's fine. I'm willing to you know, take whatever verbal abuse comes my way. But, you know, I don't know if people realize this, but DeJounte also has the fifth most touches in the NBA. Like, there's only four guys who have touched the ball more than DeJounte in the entire league. That being LeBron James, Luka Doncic, Trey Young, and Nikola Jokic. Like, if you touch the ball that often, numbers are going to come. Like, he's not really a player you can play off ball. He's not a very good shooter. We don't really know where he is as a cutter. He hasn't really been asked to cut very much or play off balls since the Tony Parker days and the Marcus Aldridge days when he was a very young point guard. So, like, I understand that the numbers are nice and, and we love to see the triple doubles, but mostly I think the triple doubles are meaningless. You know, you look at the pace of the NBA, not only are the Spurs playing at a top five pace in the league, but this is one of the 10 fastest seasons in NBA history. I mean, if you're doing that and you're the engine of an offense and you're touching the ball, you know, more than anybody pretty much in the NBA, like the, the numbers are going to come. And I think it's important to give him his props when he has a triple-double where, you know, he played against Oklahoma City Thunder, clearly the best player on the, on, on the court that night, right? You know, ton of rebounds, distributing the ball perfectly, not turning it over, really efficient from the field. But his last triple-double, and, and I saw that, you know, like it, it tied David Robinson. Awesome. But even DeJounte Murray after the game, they're asking him, you know, you tied it. What do you think? I think Spurs fans should take the same approach that DeJounte does. He said he doesn't care. I don't care. I'm not hunting for stats. I'm just being DeJounte. I wasn't good. And I think that's the key right there is you can be really good in a triple-double and you get your flowers for that. But if you play poorly and get a triple-double as a product of how the Spurs run their system around you, who cares? And I know, I know that's not fun, but really, like, who cares? DeJounte doesn't care. They lost. He didn't play that well. Spurs fans shouldn't care about the triple-double. I mean, for years and years and years, we've heard people say, oh, well, you know, Russell Westbrook is stat padding, and who cares about the triple-double? And the second that DeJounte Murray starts doing it, it's like, well, it's the, it's the number one thing that shows he's so good. No, the thing that shows is he's so good is that he's able to be this offensive engine when this team doesn't have anybody else. Like, it's not his fault. They really don't have anybody else to give the ball to. And the fact that he's been able to maintain his efficiency across the field while taking on just an unprecedented amount of responsibility for a point guard in San Antonio franchise history, that's what should be applauded. Not the triple doubles, not the inefficient nights, but the fact that he's doing so much with so little. So love yeah. DeJounte. He absolutely deserves praise. But I think we got to stop talking about, you know, this triple double, that triple double. Who cares? Yeah, I know, I know it's not fun, but <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah, currently the reason that I think he has so many triple doubles is, is just as you stated, 
he's the best player that the Spurs have right now. So Coach Pop is going to give him a ton of touches. You know, you're going to give him the ball. He's going to probably be given the green light to go ahead and take these shots. And he's going to have to be that guy that's going to touch the ball and take tons of shots because we really don't have nobody else, you know, at this point. Uh, everybody else are just, everybody else that we have on the team are just pieces, you know. And, and DeJounte is one of these pieces as well. The, the Spurs are still lacking a bona fide superstar, somebody who can actually take over the complexion of the game itself and change that in favor of the Spurs and, you know, help help them win, you know, in these really close games. We don't have that guy. The closest thing we have right now is one DeJounte Murray, and I think that's indicative of him, you know, having all these touches and having to be that guy for the San Antonio Spurs right now. Things might change in the future, but right now the Spurs are a product of their record, you know, and they're showing that they still have to figure a lot of things out and put some things together. A lot of inexperience right now, and you're seeing a lot of inconsistencies from game to game to game. And it, I think it really shows itself when the Spurs play a higher level of talent. You know, when they go ahead and play some of these lesser teams that might be below 500 or at 500, sometimes they look like world beaters. But then you go ahead and see what happens when they go up against other teams that have a higher level of talent, you know, and you, they get exposed, you know, specifically at guard play. Look at what happened with DeJounte and one John Morant. The Spurs just had no answer for him. And John Morant, he's having a MVP-esque kind of season. The kid is just amazing. You know, he had some shots here when they played against the Memphis Grizzlies recently that just left me in awe. Like, there's no way that this kid should have gotten that shot off, but he was still able to. And at his size, he was able to absorb the contact and still finish his shot. I mean, he's a special kind of player. Unfortunately for the Spurs, we don't have that yet. You know, the team doesn't have that yet. Yeah, they don't, they don't have it yet, but I do want to backtrack just a little bit. When I look at DeJounte Murray, he may not be the centerpiece of a championship team, but every championship team needs that like second or third best guy. And yep. I think DeJounte Murray has solidified himself as a guy who can probably be your second best player on a championship team. He leads the league in steals. He leads the league in deflections. He would be the only the second player in NBA history to do that outside of Paul George when he was with the Oklahoma City Thunder. That's a huge accomplishment for him. You can't take that away from him. He's been so good on the defensive end. He's done everything you could possibly ask for on the offensive end. And Look, he hasn't been particularly efficient as a scorer this season, and he has a ton of touches, and I understand that. But you look at maybe when the Spurs are able to acquire those pieces that can help him. You know, his usage will go down. Some of those touches will go down. He won't be asked to do as much. But I almost guarantee that efficiency will continue to go up. He's been one of the hardest workers that I can even imagine in the NBA since he came into the league. You know, he entered the NBA 29th overall pick, couldn't shoot a mid-range jumper, couldn't shoot a three-pointer didn't have a very good handle, could not distribute the ball, turned the ball over a lot, and now he's transformed himself into this player bit by bit that, you know, really solid mid-range shooter, really great finisher at the rim, can pass with some of the best point guards in the league, doesn't turn the ball over, has added some more, you know, package to his dribble. He's, he's become more dynamic off the dribble. And so if he can continue on that trajectory where he just adds one little thing every single season, He's going to be a really dang good second option for a team. And hopefully it's the Spurs. That's what I'm hoping for. So DeJounte Murray, he needs the credit. I think he deserves to be an all-star this season. But like you said, you know, he's not a John Morant. He's not a Joel Embiid. He's not a Donovan Mitchell. But if he's in that second tier of star, you found yourself a really special player. And, and I'm happy that the Spurs found that. And they were able to do that with a homegrown draft pick. 
Yeah, they found their point guard. That's definitely a, a plus. You know, they ju he's just missing something. You know, they're Absolutely. missing their Batman. They're missing their Batman. They're missing their superstar. You know, DeJounte's more of the Robin, you know, so he needs somebody, you know. So hopefully they can figure that out maybe in this upcoming draft. Hopefully it's a top five pick. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm crossing my fingers. You know, the season's not a wash. I mean, you, you still have that to look forward to. But we did have a question from one of our viewers. Uh, they went ahead and uh, left a comment when I said, hey, I'm going to be doing this with you, Noah. And if you have any questions, and when we have a question, we have a question from uh, a user by the name of Martin. And he's saying, switch out portal for Miles Turner, yay or nay. I like MT's defense and can and he can stretch the floor uh, with the three. What are your thoughts? In a vacuum, I think it, it it's really cool because he can stretch the floor and he's a really good rim protector. I think he's led the NBA in blocks per game in three out of the last four seasons. He has a little bit more offense or he's a little more dynamic on the offensive end, but the only problem here is I'm struggling to see a world in which the Pacers go, you know, we'll send you Miles Turner and we want Jakob Pertl in return. It's not that they're not on like a, a similar echelon, but when you have a guy like Demonis Sabonis doesn't really shoot, occupy space in the paint, it makes things even more crowded there. And that, you know, there were rumors that they wanted to rebuild, that they're trying to figure things out. And I, I think like moving Pertle for for Turner is mostly a lateral move for both teams, but it also doesn't make a lot of sense for the Pacers. But I love Miles Turner. Don't get me wrong. Really love me some Yaka Pirtle, though. I don't I don't know if I would do it just because it doesn't make sense for the Pacers. And of course, in the NBA, trades have to make sense for both teams. This is true. You know that it is a business at the end of the day. So not only does it have to make sense, it has to make sense on the books. You know, I think that's one yeah. thing <laughs> a lot of fans don't understand. You can swap players, no problem. But if it doesn't make sense on the books, you also have to go ahead and package some other players that you actually love in order to go ahead and clear cap space. It's the nature of the business, you know? So as we start bringing this to a close, Noah, we're going to go ahead and look forward into the future a little bit. And we're going to look at the San Antonio Spurs dreaded rodeo road trip that's coming up. I believe it's oh, eight man. They have, And it's coming up quick. They're going to start on February the 9th. The rodeo road trip ends February the 28th. Currently, they're going to start against the Cavaliers. And after they play the Cavaliers, I'm going to read the, the teams off that they're going to play during the rodeo road trip. They're going to play the Cavaliers, the Hawks, the Pelicans, the Bulls, the Thunder, Wizards, Heat, and they end the rodeo road trip against the Memphis Grizzlies. You know, so <laughs> given what I told you right now, as far as the, the slew of teams that they're going to be facing, there are some teams that the Spurs could possibly match up well against and get a win, you know? So this isn't all for naught. You could go ahead and, and finish maybe by getting a couple wins here. What do you think the overall team record's going to be for this upcoming rodeo road trip? Do you see the Spurs actually getting a couple wins on the road? I think they could. I mean, you look at the Oklahoma City Thunder. They, they lost to them earlier in the year, but they also just – barely lost and that was on one of the worst nights from DeJounte and Derek like it would take a pretty bad night to lose to the Thunder and as you've seen across the NBA there aren't a lot of teams that are losing to the Thunder so Spurs should probably have that under wraps but at the same time like hey I said that same thing about Houston and they lost to Houston and they blew them out who knows you know it's a it's just an inconsistent team you don't really know what you're going to get but if I had to guess probably three and five maybe two and six if you're lucky you go four and four but honestly, like you mentioned, I mean, I, I'm sort of in the camp that 
if they can improve their draft lottery odds, then I'm fine with it. You know, when they lose, I'm not banging my head against the wall. I'm not, you know, yelling at my TV. I'm going, man, that's nice. You know, Chet, Paolo, even Jabari, like the, those guys might look nice in silver and black. At the same time, like I, I'm still happy when they win a game. You know, I, I'm still a Spurs fan at heart, but, you know, I, I think I've made it for myself so that it's a win-win. You know, either way, I'm not going to be upset. Yeah, so I don't know, man. It's <laughs> To me, I'm looking at this schedule, and the Spurs are going to have issues with the Cavaliers. You know, they aren't. Um, you look at the Hawks, same scenario could play out as, as well. The matchups just aren't conducive to, to the team winning. You know, then I look at the Pelicans. That's a toss-up. Depending on which team shows up that night, uh, they could go ahead and easily get a win against the Pelicans. The Bulls, the Bulls, depending on who's playing, you know, if everybody's healthy with the Bulls, Spurs got everybody healthy. That's going to be an interesting matchup to me. You know, that could be a, a really close game, but I, I believe that the Bulls will ultimately wind up getting the win, you know. Uh, against the Thunder, I can see them getting the, the dub against the Thunder. The Wizards, I could possibly see them getting a, a win against the Wizards. The Heat, I think they're going to have issues with the Heat because of matchups, depending on who the Heat have healthy. You know, if they have a full squad, it, it's going to present a problem, I think, to the San Antonio Spurs. And the, and the Grizzlies, I'd have to give the nod to the Grizzlies as well because the Spurs just have no answer for John Morant, you know, and he's killed them, you know, so... Unfortunately, I, I think the Spurs can probably get two wins out of this rodeo road trip. But they're going to go two and six. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. I mean, at the end of the day, look forward to the lottery. The lottery balls are in our favor, you know. So that's my prediction. And and before we go ahead and end the show, I wanted to go ahead and also do one little thing here. I'm going to show another clip, uh, and this is actually wishing Coach Pop a happy birthday. The old <laughs> turned 73 today, and I thought this was hilarious. I found it on Fanduel. So I'm going to go ahead and play this for everybody so they can take a look at it. I don't know. Okay, I just want to make that clear. That's like the end of a first quarter question. Answer it yourself. PP. No, you're doing great. <laughs> just lost. That's Billy. He'll figure it out. No second. Give me second. No, I don't want to. No. You scored more than we did, and we were pretty crappy on defense. It's been fun. It was an awful performance. You got to love you for Coach Pop. <laughs> Those are just some of the little clips that they had put together from FanDuel. So good on you guys. It's hilarious, man. Coach Pop is a character. He's a vibe. I'm going to miss him when he decides to go in and hang it up and retire. But, I mean, these bloopers, man. Coach Pop is on his A game here, you know. <laughs> so yeah, Happy birthday to him, man. 73 years old, still coaching the NBA, oldest coach in NBA history. Props to him, man. He, You know, some people may say he lost a step, but, you know, once they lost Kawhi, he has done a phenomenal job of coaching what's been placed in front of him. So love him. Love him. We'll be sad to see him go, just like you said. Yeah, so as we go ahead and start bringing this to a close, Noah, I'm going to go ahead and show where they can follow you on social media, bringing it up right here. Make sure you go and follow Noah at N underscore Magaro. And 
he brings a lot of good information out in regards <laughs> to the San Antonio Spurs. So you definitely need to be following Noah. Noah, do you have anything you're working on right now that you'd like to tell the, the peeps about? Yeah, we just released a new podcast episode over on Alamo City Limits. It's me and my co-host, Damian Bartonek. We talked about DeMar DeRozan and his homecoming. That's going to be coming this Friday. That is today. So look for that. You can find that wherever you get your podcast. But besides that, just, you know, find my words at Pounding the Rock. Like Joe showed you, you can find me on Twitter at N underscore Magaro, M-A-G-A-R-O. But again, thank you so much, Joe, for having me. I always have a blast talking Spurs basketball with you and just looking at this team, because even though it hasn't been a great season from a standings perspective, I think we can all enjoy the little moral victories that we get when we see Josh Primo get in the game or DeJounte Murray go off against a team or even Kelvin Johnson light it up from three. So just really enjoyed the season, even if it hasn't been the best in terms of wins and losses. Yeah. Shout out to the people who are watching, you know, shout out to you, David Awater, and thank you for watching as well. Uh, Joanne Hernandez, appreciate you. Joanne's always watching, so shout out to you, Joanne. <laughs> Appreciate your support. So make sure you go ahead and follow me as well. You can follow me on, on Twitter, and it's at Two Shots Podcast, as you can see here, all spelled out, TWO Two Shots Podcast. So for Noah Magarro George, I'm Joe Garcia. Thank you all for watching and listening to another episode of the Two Shots Podcast. Thank you.